We want to say thank you for listening. So our sponsors have given some great deals in this episode. Check these out. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Axness, because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. And SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Access PNG wireless ICS system can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise-canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. And SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With a certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Coming up next, we've got another brother joining us. He graduated just a couple classes behind mine in Rescue Swimmer School, and his career literally took him around the world. It is awesome. In addition to that, some of his rescues are mind-blowing. The awards that he received, including his crew, some of his cases were written into books, and he comes in here to, to give us that inside perspective of what he actually went through. It's awesome. 
In addition to that, some of the video footage from his biggest rescue is posted on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. You guys can go check that out. Well, let me tell you, the award says one thing. The rat out said another thing. He was in it. Yeah, he has his own perspective. But you guys get to go in there and check it out and see what you guys think. So up next, please welcome our next guest, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 523, Mr. Drew Dazzo. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. I've got another brother with me. God, I, I, I'm pulling you guys out of the woodwork. I'm loving this. Uh, amazing stories coming up. I'm super stoked to hear them. United States Coast Guard, rescue swimmer number 523, Mr. Drew Dazzo. What's up, brother? How you doing, Jason? I'm happy to be here, dude. Dude, I am pumped to have you here. Like, you and I have been going back and forth for quite a while about some of this stuff. And and um, actually, you know, our, our boy Chris Razog, he was That's like... Bagger. Yeah, right? <laughs> Damn it, Chris. <laughs> He's like, bro, have you listened to Drew's story? I'm like, no. He's like, bro. You got to call him. So yeah, oh, here we are. <clears throat> it's been, it's been a minute. It sure has since I've uh, jumped out of the helicopter and done anything like that. So That's okay. what do you want? What do you want to know? Well, well, let's get into this. <laughs> oh man. Without waiting, let's do this. All right. Well, well, I'll tell you I'm Fatty Kathy today. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. All right. So I'll tell you what, let's start with this then. Hey, give me uh, or give everybody else a little bit about you. Who are you? Where you're from, how you got into the Coast Guard, and most importantly, how you became a rescue swimmer. All right. Well, uh, I grew up on Long Island, New York. Um, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stop right there. Sorry. Come on. Yankees or Yankees or Mets? That's right. Uh, yeah. Well, which one? Yankees, Yankees or Mets? Fan. Oh. Yankees. You know, we and were I'm friends until Ra- Ra- two seconds Ranger ago. fan, too. Ranger all the way. No Islanders. Rangers all the way. <laughs> Let's go Red Sox. <laughs> My nemesis. My nemesis. Can't stand uh, Boston. I guess that's I why it. I hate Chris so much. <laughs> I, I, I can see that. that. I, love, I love Chris to death, regardless if he's from up there. <laughs> you know, hey, you know, we, us, us Bostoners in New England, massholes, we stick together. You know that, right? Massholes. I like that. Yeah, I know. You guys are pretty tight. So, oh, anyway, anyway I grew up, all right, uh, New York. I grew up in New York. Uh, I was a framer. I built houses for a living. And then uh, when I was like 26, 27 years old, I got tired of framing houses and swinging a hammer. And I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. And I was either going to end up dead or in jail. And, uh, you know, I had really, a really good parents. I had a really good dad who well, I still have a really good dad, but I have a really good dad who really was pushing me to, to do something with my life. Um, you know, and then one day I saw this guy jump out of a helicopter and I was like, holy shit, that's what I want to do. I'm like, are you kidding me? Did somebody free fall out of a helicopter? I'm like, I'm down. Awesome. Um, you know, and then I got pushed towards, I wouldn't say pushed, but 
my path to the Coast Guard was all about my dad. Because he was like, you don't want to go in the Army and live in a foxhole. You don't want to go to the Navy and be deployed for six months at a time on the on a boat, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and I was all about staying home. And I was like, all right, Coast Guard, yeah. Jumping out of helicopters. And uh, I enlisted, and away I went. Um, at a boot camp, I spent two and a half years on the Coast Guard Cutter, uh, the Woodbrush. It was okay. a uh, buoy tender out of Sitka. And then from there, I entered the Airman Program, which I thought was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I walked, I walked off the boat and did a no-cost transfer over to the air station and spent, like, almost another year there. Until, oh, wow. Yeah, until swimmer school. So back in the, well, I don't know what it is like now, right? But when you and I went through, because we're not far apart. I mean, heck, we're only 23 guys apart. Um, The Airman program was only supposed to be like four months. And then you're supposed to go right to school. How how did that happen with you to be there for a year? Well, uh, I I guess my school date kept getting pushed back for some reason. Got it. And then at that time when we were going through school, like if you're, how do I put this? Like if your school date didn't coincide with going to Petaluma right away, there was. Oh, they, gotcha. Okay. So anyway, there was a gap there and I ended up doing like almost six months, maybe a little over six months, closer to a year in uh, at the air station. And then after swimmer school, uh, usually supposed to go to EMT school right away. Well, I didn't. I, they sent me back to Sitka so I could move my family out to Elizabeth City. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and then when I got to Elizabeth City, that's when I headed off to uh, EMT school. Wow. Wow, yeah, you had a very of, interesting yeah, it was kind of weird. events. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of weird. So, But, uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, as soon as I saw that guy jump out of the helicopter, I was like, man, that's what I want to do. I was all about that adrenaline rush, zero to 60. That was my personality, you know? Uh, so, yeah. Dude, yeah, that's, that's awesome. What that's a way hard. to get started. Yeah, I thought that's it was. What, it, it was me, too. Only I was in boot camp at the time. See some yeah, guy I mean, jumping I out of a helicopter. PT. I know I got started late, though. Um, I know when I went through swimmer school, I was 27 years old. I was the oldest one in my class. Um, wow. I think the, yeah. I think the youngest the youngest guy was like twenty one. I think twenty two, probably. So, jeez, uh, man. So yeah, you know what? They, but you had life that you had already lived, so that's kind of cool. Y- yeah, know? like when I got out of high school, I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to do. I I yeah. tried the college thing, and that didn't work out. And you know, I just tried job after job after job, and just lived life until I was like. I got to do something. <laughs> I, like I said, I was going to end up better in jail with the people I was hanging out with. Yeah. Good choice. Good choice. Welcome yeah. to our world. Booyah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so. Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, man, you get all this stuff done. You, you're in. What's your very first case? <laughs> the very first case. Okay. So <clears throat> I uh, was stationed at Barber's Point. That was my first duty station. Oh, that's rough. Barber's Point, Hawaii. Yeah. For those that don't know. Um, yes, please. Yeah, right. So uh, 
I was walking on the beach with my uh, my first wife, and we were beachcombing. We were looking for beach glass. And my five-year-old daughter, Ashlyn, was with us at the time. And we were across we were across the street from the air station. If anybody knows the air station, there's a beautiful beach right across the street. And we were walking the beach towards White Plains, which is, I believe, east on the beach. So we were walking down the beach, and it was a little rough that day. And, you know, there were people out on the beach enjoying themselves. And I was looking down, and uh, I hear... I hear my daughter yell out, dad, dad. And I'm like, oh, maybe she found some blue beach glass. Well, lo and behold, I look up and I see her getting dragged out by a riptide. And I'm like, oh, man. So my wife is like at the time, she's like, Drew, Ashlyn, she needs you. And we were both really, really calm. And as I'm watching my daughter get taken out, I was like, man. She's doing really good. She's floating on her back, doing everything I told her to do in case she gets caught by a rip, you know, because as a swimmer, nice. you teach your kids the laws of the land when they're around the water. I'm, I'm sorry. That's who we are. That's what yeah. we do. We teach our kids good things and bad things about old mother sea. Totally. And, and I to respect her. So as she's getting taken out, I'm like, all right. Well, these people on the beach are starting to freak out. And my wife is like, don't worry. My, my husband, he's a rescue swimmer. He's got this. And I'm like, oh, my God. So <laughs> I jump in the water. I get in the same rip with her. And I just start swimming towards her. I get about 75, maybe a little bit, maybe 100 yards out, give or take. I catch up to her. I put her on my back. And I'm like, yeah, all right. She's like, yeah, dad, I'm just out of breath. So what do we do? Just start breaststroking parallel with the shore. And then uh, I think I caught a couple of, couple of uh, breakers on the way in. And we walked in the shore. And that was my first rescue in Hawaii. It was my daughter. Oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was real. It was like real mellow. It was kind of like, hey, dad, I, I need some help, you know? And. <laughs> I just watched her float out like a like a buoy calmly and I'm like, all right, I'll go get her. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, like you said, people on the shore are just freaking out. <laughs> oh my so gosh, yeah, that was um, that was my first case in Hawaii. Was rescuing I like that. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was she owes cool. you big time. Oh yeah. So when you're like 80 or 90, you, just, <laughs> you make sure you keep bringing that up, honey. I oh yeah. When mind. I need somebody, when I need somebody to wipe my backside, I'm going to remind yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That is awesome. Yeah. Oh, see, she's lucky to have a good dad like you. Just saying. Right. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I can say that about my girls too. You girls are lucky. You have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> so yeah. Your daughter, she has no idea. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was that was my first rescue. Um, I like I said, it wasn't even in the helicopter. I didn't even have a flight suit on, no Triton, no nothing. I just had a <laughs> pair of bird whales on. That was it. Oh my gosh, <laughs> dude, I love it. I love yeah. it. That's so, funny. Right on. Yeah. All right. So now you've been in Hawaii. Uh, you got deployed on the Boutwell. Was that out of Hawaii as well? Uh yes. So. <laughs> Joined the Coast Guard because I didn't want to go in the Navy and be on a aircraft carrier for six months. And then 
Well, look at that. I get to Hawaii and was that like two years later, I'm being deployed <laughs> on a boat for six months. So, so yes, yeah. you did. Uh, Hold on, wait a minute. Don't go too far. Don't go too far because <laughs> what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna read this. You got an award at the end of it, which I'm really okay. stoked about it. And uh okay. And if you don't mind, just some of the highlights out of this, please feel free to let us know kind of what, what you got, all right? Okay, go ahead. All right, so here's the award. Citation to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Achievement Medal to Drew D. Dazzo, Aviation Survival Technician, third class, United States Coast Guard. Pedestrian Dazzo is cited for superior performance of duty while serving on board the Coast Guard Cutter Boutwell from January 2003 to May 2003, Pedro Dazzo flawlessly executed his duties as rescue swimmer and basic airman during the extended deployment in the Persian Gulf in the support of Operation Enduring Freedom and Iraqi Freedom. Pedro Dazzo was instrumental in the preparation and deployment, including researching, procuring, and training the aircrew on the use of body armor and weapon-compatible safety vests. He was a vital air crew member of on 53 sorties. Over half of these missions were flown during wartime over the off coast of Southern Iraq. Pedro Dazzo explained exceptional medical expertise and professionalism during the medical evacuations. The first of which helped stabilize a civilian tech rep suffering from a contusion. Again, in the pre-dawn hours of 07 April, 2003, he rose to the occasion and by skillfully treating a patient during a 100 nautical mile transit between the USS Milius and USS Abraham Lincoln. As the lone rescue swimmer aboard the Coast Guard Cutter Boutwell, he tirelessly endured long hours of airborne SAR guard in support of the coalition airstrike during the initial stages of war. When not flying, he significantly increased the aircraft availability by voluntarily performing maintenance outside of his rate. This dedication enabled the helicopter to fly 181 sorties and over 225 flight hours in the span of four months, including 86 wartime sorties and over 100 wartime hours in a 45-day period. Pedestrian Daza's diligence, Perseverance and devotion to duty are most heartily committed in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. <laughs> Drew, oh man, yeah. that's sick, dude. So you're, you I mean, what, you're out there for a while. Yeah, we yep. were out there for a while. I tell you, if that if that helicopter wasn't in the air, that captain on the boat was not happy. <laughs> that dude, he had us flying twenty four seven. I mean, that was his job to keep us in the air, and that's what he did. Nice. So that wasn't ever... totally like volunteer then, was it? No. <laughs> Voluntold, maybe. Well, yeah. Well, oh, what do you mean? For me going on the deployment? No, no, no. To keep that aircraft like oh, up and yeah, running. Yeah, yeah. No, we were we were voluntold. We were going in the air. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that's funny. All right. So the the evacuation, the guy that got or the victim that got hit with a contusion, what was that? Uh he was on <clears throat> He was on an aircraft carrier, and um, you know when you go through, uh, I think they're called scuttles. Yep. The watertight access doors, you kind of got to like step over and duck at the same time because you're either going to trip on your foot or hit your head. Well, this yes. guy. Uh, just so you know, every Navy guy is laughing, both you and I uh, right now. Uh, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. <laughs> 
<laughs> so anyway, so this dude, this dude must have ducked, but he didn't pick up his feet and tripped over the, the watertight door uh, okay. knife edge and ended up falling down the stairs. Oh. So when I got to him, um, you know how we check their eyes for Pearl? That was yeah. my first time ever checking somebody's eyes for pearl and i look at the one eye and it's reactive and then all of a sudden i flash the other eye and i'm like whoa this is that that's a big robot eye that's like not even moving <laughs> i was like okay he's got a head injury uh you know and you could also see the contusion on his head and whatnot so uh myself and a bunch of other corpsmen wrapped him up um got him up out he was in he was in the stairway when I got there. So they were in the process of using the, um, the kid. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh. They were in the process of putting him in the kid and that's how they brought him up to the flight deck. The kid or the sked? The sked, excuse sked. me. Sked. Sked. Yeah. The sked guy, the big long orange, like wrap you up like a burrito type. Yeah. Thing. This thing was, this thing was green, but yeah. Okay. So that's, yeah. how, that's how they brought him up, and then we, you know, got him into the helicopter and evac him out of there. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, and then my other, there was another case too, another transport we did, where a, a young, I believe she was a young female, she got hit with high pressure grease. Oh, I don't, I don't know what from, but it was high pressure grease, and it like hit her in the face somewhere, and like her skin was sloughed off, and. Yeah, she was uh, she was hurting pretty bad. So that was another uh, evac we did off of one of the um, the carriers out there. Dang. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if you're allowed to tell me, but do you know where did you take it? Did you take him to shore or to another ship? No, we took him to uh, uh, the USF uh, Comfort was out there. Oh, nice. Okay. The floating hospital. Nice. Yeah, landing on that thing was like landing on a continent. You didn't even you didn't even feel the helicopter move when we landed. You didn't even know you were on a ship. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was super cool. Super, super cool. Oh, that is neat. Right on. Yeah. So overall, was it a good deployment? Uh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I didn't want to go at first. Um, in fact, <laughs> I was uh <clears throat> All right, so this is how the deployment went. I love it. I love nobody, it. Nobody in the shop wanted to go. Nobody in the shop wanted to go. And my chief at the time did not want to select anybody. He, he didn't have the heart to do it. So what did we do? Names in the bucket. We all oh, folded. We all folded the pieces, the pieces of paper. All folded them the same. Moved them all around. We had somebody come out of the shop to pick the name. And... My name was the first one. I was like, all right. So then I start, you know, procuring and doing everything I need to do to get ready for the deployment. <clears throat> and then my wife is pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I'm, no. I'm like, okay. So I try to fight it. I go to the command and they're like, nope, we need, we need a body to go. So I finally, I suck it up and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'm going to go. Um, so then Scott Gordon steps up like the man he is. And he says, no, Drew, you stay home and be with your pregnant wife. I will take your deployment. What a and nice I, guy. I, I was like, 
floored. I was like, holy shit. We had a whole conversation about it. And I was like, dude, if you need your yard cut or anything, you let me know, dude. I will, I'll, I'll buy you a new car, whatever you need, dude. I, I got you. So anyway, Scott's going on deployment now. I believe it was a week or two later, my wife miscarried. Oh, I'm sorry. That sucks. And it sucked. It was a hard time. And I walked in the shop and I said, you know what, dude? You did an admirable thing by stepping up and saying, you know, you were going to take my deployment for me. Well, I have to take it back from you. And that was the right thing to do. You know, I didn't. My wife wasn't pregnant anymore. We were dealing with some stuff, but I was like, I need to go on the deployment. And I took it back. Wow. And I uh, ended up going on the deployment, uh, learned a lot, had a great experience, um, saw some things that I'll probably never see again in my lifetime. Um, I got to do my swimmer deployments in the Gulf. <laughs> That's so awesome. It was cra- it was the dirtiest thing ever. <laughs> uh, I, I believe I, I remember the day I was going to do my my free falls. I'm looking over the side, and there goes a dead camel. As we're, <laughs> as we're going by, and I'm like, do I really want to get the helicopter and go do my deployments? I ended up doing it just to say I did it. You know, stuff that you will never see anywhere else. No, dead camel did, floating down Persian Gulf. Two, two and two really quick to get them done. Wow. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, so the body armor, that was really cool. That was different. Uh, never wore body armor in the, in the helicopter before. Uh, we all had, we all had um, our seat pans were lined with body armor in case anybody uh, would yep. shoot up at us. Uh, we all had to qualify on the nine millimeter again because we all flew around with sidearms. Um, and what else? Oh, those LPU 27s, those are the worst aviation <laughs> ever. Those first black ones with the, yeah. with the, the, the tight bladders. And yeah, what was it? The, the zebra fold or the, the accordion yeah. fold you had to do? God, yeah. those best suck. <laughs> So anyway, I had they, to they have made many, and... many improvements since then. I promise oh, you that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Many improvements. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, it was a uh, it was a learning experience as far as like all the gear and all the equipment. Um, you know, that's back in the time when CBR first came out, you know, with those masks. And, you know, you had to put the charcoal gloves on and the socks and the suits. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you know, when CBR first came out, man, they were like, swimmer shop, this is your thing. And Drew, since you're going to the Gulf and you guys are going to be wearing this, you know, we need you to teach the air crews how to doff and don this stuff. You know, how to put it on and take it off. So that was my, you know, that was my job 24-7 was all this gear that we needed to have prior to the deployment. And it was crazy. But uh, oh man, dude, yeah, but talk about some spending power. Like, if I said I needed something, I mean, it was it was there, no kidding, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I've had uh, I've had somebody tell me their two biggest adversaries in, in the Coast Guard was Mother Ocean and the supply department. 
at this point in time, the supply department, man, they were like, whatever the swimmer shop needs for this deployment, give it to them. So that was oh, that's cool. awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So, but did yeah. You, did you get a new watch? Just, I mean, you're going on deployment. I'm just, I, you know what? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't get a new watch. No, I get, I did get a tan flight suit though. That was pretty cool. Oh, Hey, Hey, that's yeah. not normal. Right that's on. Not normal. I got a tan flight suit, which is pretty cool. So, yeah. but yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of man, a lot of experiences out there. A lot of experiences. Uh, thought I was going to, thought I was going to die out there at one point in time. Really? Yeah, really. I had a real, it was a life threatening experience. So, we were we were all inoculated for smallpox and anthrax while we were out there. And at that time in the war, um, they were really, really concerned with uh, biological warfare. Yeah. So all around the boat, we had, um, I guess, uh, biological or chemical testers that, you know, if anything was in the air, it would alert somebody and the alarm would go off in general quarters and so on. Well, up on the bridge, they were cleaning and nobody knew that the Windex or the cleaning solvent that they were using was going to interact with the Seaburn um, alarms. Right? <laughs> so they're cleaning and then off our port quarter, there were three Iranian gunboats coming at us. Well, the CBR alarm goes off. General quarters goes off. And we're all scrambling because you walk around the boat, you have your, um, you have your mask on your leg, your, okay. your biological mask. And you, we've been trained, like, as soon as that alarm goes off, no matter where you are, within 30 seconds, you got to have that thing on your face and pressure tested and, and ready to go because there's an attack. So the alarm goes off because there, at the time, nobody knew the cleaning solvent set the alarm off, but the alarm goes off. And then they're saying, man, battle quarters, because there's three gunships coming at us. Holy cow, dude. What? Was, it was crazy. So then the captain, now we're all in our gas masks. They're on the um, they're on the deck manning the guns, and the captain gives the uh, gets on the speaker and says, "Do not fire until I give the signal to fire." And I was like, "Holy shit!" And then I'm looking out the window, and these boats are circling the beltwell. What? Yeah, it was crazy, dude. It was crazy, and it was like now that I you know now that it's all said and done, it was. They were just flexing on us. That's all they were doing. But, dude, it was a hairy situation. <laughs> hairy situation. Like, you're rushing to put your mask on, and then you find out that there's three gunboats out there coming at you, and you're like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. There were, there were points where it was just like, wow. Mind-blowing. Dude, that's and if crazy. You've never, if you've never been... I guess in wartime situation, I mean, it's, it's nerve wracking, man. I mean, we weren't getting shot at, but you know, you're rushing to put on your mask. 
Yeah. You don't know where the chemical attack is coming from because that alarm's going off. And then, you know, you got these gunboats coming at, at you and you're like, holy shit, he's telling those guys to man the guns. And it's like, this, this is getting real. So, yeah. It was Pull out your trusty nine. I got you. I got my trusty nine. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. What's my trusty nine going to do to like a 25 millimeter that's on a boat? You know? Nothing. 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 Nothing at all. So yeah, that's uh, that was that's a crazy story. Wow. Yeah. But uh, Dang, man. <laughs> dude, that's crazy. That's yeah, awesome. Uh, so uh, another cool thing is one night we had the uh, NVGs. We had our night vision goggles out, and I watched ten tomahawks take off from the USS Milius, like come up out of the ship straight up and then do that arc and head towards Baghdad. Wow. Super, super cool. Super cool. Is that one of those times you're sitting on the boat? You're like, wow, I'm glad I'm right here right now. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It was pretty awesome, man. And then, uh, you know, the nights that I wasn't on the boat, we were doing, we were doing, um, we were out doing night missions. So the USS Tarawa, was the I believe was the head of our battle group, and that was a HSD, or uh, I believe it's like landing, hovering, and docking. So it's like sure. an it's like an amphibious aircraft carrier. So anyway, those guys would go out and do night bombing runs. Well, in order for their aircraft to leave the ship, go inland to do the bombing runs and then come back. They needed a search and rescue asset in the air in case they were limping back from land and didn't make it to the boat and crashed in the water. And that's what they would use us for. So while the Tarawa Tarawa was out there running their bombing missions or whatever they were doing at night, they would keep us in a starboard delta off the right-hand side of the ship. And that's we would just burn circles. Burn circles all night long, and we knew our job was done. When you look in the, you look at the horizon, and you could see um, through the night vision goggles, the uh, the aircraft have those night vision lights on them. Yeah, and you could just see the squadrons coming back on the horizon. You're like, oh, oh that's cool. Their mission, and that was super cool. And then you could just see them all line up and land one by one on the Tarawa. Whether it be we call them snakes because they were they had no um, they had no wheels on the helicopter, so we call them snakes or skids. Yep, because they skids. were cobra skids. Uh, we called them snakes because I believe they were cobras. I'm not okay. sure what type of helicopter. You know cobra what? That makes is. sense. We'll go with it. Yeah, yeah, and then we watched a lot of harriers come in, and it was super super cool. Wow, yeah, that's stuff yeah. you don't see every day. I I certainly no. haven't seen any of that. That's awesome. Nope. nope. I'm telling you, just these little things that I, you know, encountered while I was out there, just mind-blowing stuff like, really? We got to get under 500 feet because we could be taken out at any point in time? Uh, you know, just in case it catches the heat signature. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and at that time... I'm I getting away. <laughs> yeah, you know, and at that time, R-65, I believe, was the only aircraft. I don't want to say only, but we were one of few that had TCAS in the Gulf. Like, I don't think their 
their Blackhawks had TCAS, and I don't know if their um, Chinooks had them. Okay. Because I can remember conversations in the aircraft like, hey, you know, we got a we got a, a, a target coming up on our, you know, horizon at 12 o'clock or, you know, and we could see them, but, I, you know, we weren't getting no indication that they could see us. So, gotcha. uh, yeah, so little things like that was was pretty cool. Um, I got to go into Iraq. I got to go into uh, Baghdad or fly near Baghdad. Uh, I flew on the border of Iran. Um, touched down in Kuwait City, Saudi Arabia, been all cool. over. It was really cool. Um, went to Bahrain. That was really cool. Um, <laughs> I know Bahrain pretty well. <laughs> yeah, Bahrain was really cool. I tell you what, the first time the loudspeakers went on and the prayers started to happen and the streets went bare, I thought I was gonna. I thought my life was gonna end. I thought I was gonna get kidnapped. And then beheaded somewhere. I really did. Oh my God, that's hilarious. I was like, what is going on? Where did everybody go? It's like, (laughs) holy cow, it's like ghost town. Really creepy. You know what? I I gotta admit to you, like the first time you see it, you you don't really know what's going on. You're like, what where is everybody gone? And then you find out, oh, it's called a prayer, and then they're gonna go to prayer. Yeah. You're like, oh. Now you look at it like, all right, how soon before prayer? Is the store going to be open when I get there? Yeah, uh, okay. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you so, learn, yeah, you learn a, quickly. That's real, funny. Different, real different world out there. Yeah. Or Dude, over there, awesome. I should say. Over there. Yeah. That's wild, man. I Heck, I didn't even know. Uh, I didn't know the Coast Guard even went out there for any of that. I, I, let me take that back. I did know they went over there because I know the buoy tenders were out there running, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting all their – all the buoys and stuff and all the shipping channels ready to right. go. But I didn't realize is we had the Boutwell or other ships like that out there. That's right. pretty awesome. Yeah. The, Damn, the, so the Boutwell's main mission was to send out boarding teams to all the ships that were, or the boats, they called them DOWs, D-O-W-S, I believe it's called, DOWs. Anyway, their main mission was to uh, a board these DAOs and they were looking for high-ranking officials, weapons, and oil leaving uh, the country. Wow. Yeah. Right so, Dang, and man. then, and then the Coast Guard was in charge, I guess the other agencies like the Navy and whatever other maritime uh, assets were out there, I guess we do uh, boardings like no other. So yeah. we were out there as the SME for other teams to be board, you know, to be boarding teams, I guess. I don't know how to put that. Like, okay, so we were the subject subject matter expert on boarding vessels, and that's why our boarding teams are out there. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, somebody's gonna have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I also I'm under the impression that if it was the Navy that boarded them, it's actually uh there's like an act of war because it's right. So that's why they need the Coast Guard. Yeah, because yeah. we're international so, law yeah. in the water and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah, that's why we were out there also. I, and I don't know all the rules and regulations, so somebody can call me out on it. I'm totally yep. cool with that. I, me too. I, but you know what? It, I think that's part of why it, it goes that way. You know, yeah. we're around it so much. It's like, oh, yeah, we can just do it. Oh, okay. Coast Guard. <laughs> go, Coast Guard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right? funny. So, yeah, that's awesome. Man, what a killer story. What, what a great deployment. Like, 
you look back at it now, you got to be like, what? Yeah, there, there are times when I think back about it, and I'm like, man, that was that was a pretty real cool life experience. Like, I'll never get that again. Nope, you know, never again. So, nope. but That's yeah, awesome. I, 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 at the time, I could honestly say I wasn't real enthused about the deployment. But now, you know, twenty something plus years later, I'm glad I went through it. I'm glad I endured it, and it taught me a lot. And boy. I learned a lot from that deployment. I really did. Dude, I love it. I love it. Hey, we get we just got a couple great stories out of it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. Come on, Drew. Come on. Yeah, that was <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, let's 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 skip forward because you leave okay. Hawaii. You go to Elizabeth City. Yeah, I went to Elizabeth City for uh, my five year tour there. Okay, and, and uh, while you were there, uh, you got a pretty gnarly case. Uh, while I was there, uh, and I've seen this throughout many shops, you know, you'll get one guy who'll get on a SAR kick every time he gets duty. Yeah. And you're like, man, motherfucker, the alarm goes up every time that dude's on duty. Every time. Well, you know what? That happened to me in Elizabeth City. And I had a string of cases to talk about. Oh man, and and awards. Um, I believe my life jackets are still hanging in that shop. Awesome. <laughs> I, I hope so. I mean, it's good memorabilia. It's good stories to tell. But uh, yeah, I've had some really good cases out of Elizabeth City. Well, I'll tell you what. Before we get into the award case, is there any other ones that kind of stand out to you? Because I'm always curious. Ah. Uh... Yeah, one recently has been stuck in my mind, and that was my Atlantic City case. Uh, pretty hairy case. Um, there was a boat, let's, uh, I want to say 100 miles offshore. Um, I don't remember what tropical storm was coming through up the East Coast at that point in time, but Atlantic City, they couldn't get out there and back and do the mission because, you know, of gas and weight. And, right. Everything so, else. so Atlantic City runs the H sixty fives, and they didn't have the same leg range that the H sixty does. So, right. totally get that. You fly up from E City, you land, you get gas, and head out and come back. Actually, when we left E City, we went straight to on scene. We Did you really? Oh, nice! It's pretty tight. So, <clears throat> Atlantic City couldn't get the job done, and no, you know, no dig against them. Uh, so then they call Cape Cod. Cape Cod sends the 60 down and their swimmer could not get on the sailboat. So, um, I guess Cape, I, I want to say Cape Cod landed in Atlantic city, uh, cause they couldn't get on the boat. So then they call the hell they call Elizabeth city and they send out the first crew. And the first crew, um, I don't know. I can't, I can't talk about what happened. All I know is, is that when I arrived on scene, the 120 was jettisoned off the helicopter. There were LRU-20 rafts everywhere. Um, there were trail lines everywhere. And it looked like a yard sale of just shit in the water and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, what happened to the prior crew? Why did they jettison the 120? 
Why did they have to uh, urge the swimmer up out of the water? Uh, so the 120, you're talking the, the extra fuel tank? 120? Yeah. Fuel All tank. right. They so real quick for everybody that doesn't know, on the 860, uh, or the, the Jayhawk of the Coast Guard, you have two external tanks on the left side and then a single uh, like smaller or medium-sized tank on the right side. All three tanks are jettisonable by a push of a button. So you can like get rid of them, either weight reasons or whatever. But you push a button, and the whole all three tanks can release. Just so you, we're all on the same page. Okay. Right. And then the, the life raft, we got the LRU-20, which is the life raft for the crew, which is inside the helicopters that we use in case we crash, we have a life raft. And now you're telling me that those are in the water. Actually, hold up. Let's let's back up. Let's for a back second. up. It, it, like wasn't, it. it wasn't the LRU-20 out of the helicopter. They had a C-130 hovering over above like the archangels they are because the c-130s don't hover i know you've been out for a while drew but yeah, holy I'm shit i've been out for a while i'm so mad <laughs> oh my god people are gonna have a heyday with that line that's oh, gonna it. be hilarious all right so let's the c-130 is in a starboard delta around <laughs> around the star case uh well, anyway they, the c-130 had throughout the lru-20s got it okay in case the helicopter went down or anybody was in the water. So that's what I was looking at when I arrived on scene. Wow. So I'm sitting in the door and I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck happened out here? And I know the guys that are on the previous crew. Balls of steel. Yeah. Pilots, amazing. Swimmer, amazing. Flight mech, amazing. All have time and and cases under their belts up to this point and i'm saying to myself what happened to them why did why did they get rid of the the tank and why is there just rafts everywhere so we're hovering off the sailboat uh off their left side and we're trying to see if there's anybody in the sailboat because everybody's been trying to get on the sailboat to get these people off but we're not seeing anybody on the on the deck so we're hovering and we're just looking and we're looking. And then I can't remember if it was the flight mech or one of the pilots, but they were like, we see a flashing light inside the cabin of the sailboat. Wow. And okay. Later on, we learned it was somebody's water, water activated light on their life jacket flashing in the window. <laughs> so that's no how we way. knew. Yeah, that's how we knew they were they were on board, but we didn't know it was their water activated light at first. We only came to find that out later. So anyway, we were like, man, that light is moving. It's not stationary, it's moving back and forth. So we were like, all right, there's somebody on this boat. So <clears throat> we talked about a free fall away from everything because there was just so much debris in the water. And we decided not to free fall because of the the water the waves and the current there was no way i was getting to the boat fast how big are the waves shot in the dark uh i would say 35 to 40 jeez oh man drew what it, the? it was it was it was pretty big out there in atlantic city yeah it was pretty big so and, and you're like the third helicopter to get on scene right yes and this is, this is, shit, all, this is all in this is all in my mind why i'm on on scene like dude there's been multiple helicopters and crews out here so anyway we decide to do a 
uh, sling deployment, <clears throat> excuse me, a sling deployment to the boat. Uh, I get down close to the boat and that mast is broken in half and it's rocking back and forth and there's just cable and lines everywhere. And I look up and I'm like, this ain't going to happen. So I go back up into the helicopter and we reassess and I'm like, all right, well, how about, how about you just deliver me to the back of the boat as close as possible and I'll shimmy out of the sling and get to the boat. And they're like, all right, let's try it. So they get me close oh, to the boat. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> I shimmy out. I saw my opening. I shimmy out at about, I don't know, 10 feet. I drop in the water, and I just start hauling ass to the back of the boat. Um, I get to the back of the boat, and I'm trying to grab onto the ladder, and I'm and I'm timing the waves because that thing is, is going up and coming down. And it's like, man, don't get caught underneath that sucker because you'll get squashed. So it comes, bro. comes down and I'm like, all right, here it comes, here it comes. And I'm like, I'm going to grab this ladder with two hands. And I grab the ladder with both hands. And all of a sudden the boat kicks back up, rips me up out of the water. My fins come up over my head and I flop down on the deck. <laughs> <laughs> oh my like, God, dude. I'm like, holy shit, I made it. <laughs> so I, I pull up my mask and snorkel off. What the fuck? And I open up the door and I'm like, holy shit, there's a guy and girl in here. So I'm like, all right, it's time to go. Let's let's go. Hey, how you doing? My name is Drew. We're getting you off this boat. So the gentleman is like, uh, take the lady first. I was like, okay. So, uh, you know, I radio back and we're going to do a basket recovery in the water. So I get this lady up out of the boat. And I get her out on deck. And you know how on a sailboat, there's like stanchions and then there's like cable so that you don't fall over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we step over the cable and now we're on the edge of the boat and I'm, I have, <clears throat> so I'm standing on the edge and she is, we're nuts, we're nuts the butt right now on the okay. edge of the boat and I am holding on to the cable timing in the waves ready to jump off into the water with her okay so as i'm tying the timing the waves i look out and i'm like holy shit that's a big one so i'm like I, I lean into her and i'm like hey you need to hold on tight real tight and she's like why well, what's going on and i'm like there's a wave coming and all as soon as i said that she looks and I look and that wave hit us and it went straight through us. And she's like, <laughs> that's how big the wave was. Went straight through us right over the bat, right over the crest of the, the, the boat, straight through us and kept on going. And after that, I, I, I grabbed her in a bear hug and I ripped her off the boat and away we went, put her Holy in the basket, man. sent her up into the helicopter uh, made my way back to the boat. I don't remember. I don't remember getting back on. I believe the gentleman jumped off and I grabbed him and put him into the basket also, but, uh, got back to Atlantic city and, uh, all the crews were there and it was basically, it was kind of like a scratch your head Monday morning quarterback discussion on 
what the fuck just happened and how the hell did you get those two people off the boat? <laughs> it, was, it, it was crazy, super crazy. And there's even a crazier backstory to this SAR case also. So anyway, <laughs> uh, we get back to the air station and I'm almost hypothermic. It was cold as shit. Uh, I'm walking into the air station. So here's, here's this incredible backstory. I'm walking into the air station and I'm walking down this lonely hallway and I'm looking for the swimmer shop because I need to change of clothes because I'm fucking cold as hell. And I turn the corner and lo and behold, there is first class petty officer or second class petty officer, Chris Razok. And I look at him and he looked at me and he goes, oh, man. And that was the first time I've seen Chris since probably we graduated school because of the fact that Chris decided to play a joke on me when I failed the EMT test. He pretended to be Dan Beckwith and called me up in Hawaii and pretended that the Scantron sheets were miscalculated and that I passed the EMT test. Oh, my God, dude. What so I went, I went to the command and I went to my chief and was like, hey, man, I passed. Let's start getting me qualified. So I start getting qualified. Well, Chris Razok, the person that he is, called me up a week before I turned into a pumpkin because everybody knows that when you fail the first test, you have a certain amount of days to retake it. Yep. So he called me up a week before I turned into a pumpkin to let me know that he played a joke on me. And I'm like, you motherfucker, that's my livelihood you're messing with. And I didn't take it seriously. I went off the deep end. I told Chris, if it's I not funny, Chris. Him, it's kind of funny. But, it's kind of funny now. But it, it's is funny now. it is now. And I told Chris, I said, I hope you die on a star case and that if I ever see you again, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> well, lo and behold, here's this hairy star case in Atlantic City. And I turned the corner, cold as fucking shit, hypothermic. And I face to face with this guy who played this horrible joke on me, fucked with my livelihood, made me take the test at an army hospital less than a week later before I turned into pumpkin. And he turns around to me in the hallway and he goes, you want some dry clothes? And I said, yeah. And him and I have become brothers, loving brothers ever since that day. Like I forgave him. Like we talk on the phone now. Oh like, my god! Oh my! I mean, he bounces ideas off of me. I mean, we're, we are totally brothers. <laughs> after I told I'm him, to laugh, dude. Drew, that's after terrible. I told him, I told him I wanted him to die in a star case. I mean, that's pretty heavy, Jason. That's that's mean. There's three They're other like people mean. in the helicopter with him. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean, that's heavy shit. I was. Oh I was my pissed. god. So, yeah. Damn it, Chris. <laughs> but yeah, Chris, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yes, that, that that's our case, memorable. Wow. And the reason why it's really, really uh, fresh in my head still now is because so many years later, the lady that I pulled off the boat 
somehow, some way, tracked down my ex-wife and got my phone number. And she wants to do a book and a movie. What? Yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, I've heard all these, all this before. I've heard about, you know, the book and I've heard about movies being made. And I'm like, okay, I'll just go on about life and do my thing and wait for it to happen. Well, one book has already been written about my, one of my star cases we haven't even talked about. And now well, I have I, to get into that one too. And then, now I hear that there's another book being written. So we'll see. Wow. Wow, yeah. man. Yeah, her name is, uh, I don't want to say her full name, but lovely lady, and she lives seven hours from me in Florida. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, crazy. Dang, Small Drew. World. And when she called me up, it was like, it was like I've known her for years. It was crazy. And it's like, as a rescue swimmer, we don't meet the people that we rescue a lot. No. Yeah? We talk we about this all the time. You never, we don't form you, relationships. Yeah, never. We don't get those conversations. It's like we pull them up out of the water. It's loud in the helicopter. You know, you you, you get to land and you transfer them off in the, heli- in the ambulance and you never see them again. Yep. Never. That's it. Hey, peace. Hope you have yeah. a good ride. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of incredible that she tracked me down and, and called me up and God, we, we talked for hours. Bro. Super, awesome. super cool. Super cool. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So I tried to <laughs> I tried to get the uh I tried to get the uh the write-up for that for that case, but I guess it's for uh it's still sensitive material. So they got it. I couldn't so that's okay. That's, that's all right. right. No big deal. Wow. Dang man. Yeah, you know it's it's stuff like this. This is why I love doing this, is because you hear these stories. I didn't know that story. You you don't yeah. You don't, uh, yeah, you don't hear them all. You, Stuff like you don't have And the one thing that I kind of, you know, at, at the end, you wanted to talk about like lessons learned and things like that. Well, one thing that I really wanted to drive home is that back in the day, we didn't have social media. We didn't have no. iPhones. Video was not allowed on the helicopter. Nope. It wasn't, even it wasn't, bit. you know, the FAA wasn't allowing you to do video. So why would the Coast Guard, you know? So right. all we had was our story, talk story, and our life jackets that we hung up on the wall <laughs> to totally. prove that, you know, we so others may live. We didn't have Instagram, Facebook, you know, the social media platforms that we have now. I mean, now it's just exploded. It's crazy. Yeah, it's unreal. It's unreal. Like, so, and as a matter of fact, we had the hoist cameras on all of the air. Well, I'm not going to say all the aircraft, on most of the aircraft, but yeah. 90% of the time they didn't work. Right. You know, you go to flip the switch or the tape wasn't in it. Yes. Cause we had a little yeah, like, yeah. Tape. or the audio didn't work or yeah. It was choppy. So, yeah. 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 It, was, yeah. it just, it wasn't. And, and the hoist cam itself does not give you a full perspective of what's going on because it's only looking no. directly below you. You don't. No, it don't. No. Nope. And, now, and now they get to jump out with GoPros and. I know, right? <laughs> so, oh my goodness! But yeah, Damn, that was man. a. Uh, so I received, I received the air medal for that case too. I didn't, I didn't give you that right up, but I, I no, no, you didn't. I would have read that too. I know. Oh, I'm man. sorry. Whatever. Trying to be humble. <laughs> you know what? It's okay. And I appreciate that. 
but I love reading this stuff because it's amazing. And yeah, you know what? We get the backstory without the award. I'm good at that. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, man. Yeah. That's wild. So I, should I move on to the next one or do you, is this, is this, oh, is that it with the, with that rescue? Uh, yeah, I mean, there were some lessons, there were some really good lessons learned on that case. So, well, uh, you know what, let's, let's, let's Monday morning quarterback it then. What do you got? Okay. Um, always, always pre-flight your gear. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> because there was, there was, there was talk that the, um, Quick splice wasn't on the plane. On your aircraft? No, no, not mine. The previous aircraft that sheared the swimmer. Oh. Yes. So there was that's why they had to use the urn. But then when the plane landed, uh, somebody from Atlantic City found the quick splice on the plane. Oh. So it's it's always good to pre-flight your gear. And it was that's so long. Yeah. yeah, it was so long ago. I, I can't remember the whole story about the quick splice, but that's what I remember. Okay. We'll, we'll leave so, it at that because that was not your aircraft, right? Right. was not my and, aircraft. And I, yeah, I was I not the swimmer on that plane. I was not yeah. the flight medic or the AC. I w- we won't so, even get into it. We'll wait. So one of the crews, yeah, whoever was on that aircraft, just come on. Let's get right, the story. They, they can come up and tell us about the quick, quick splice, yep. but that's what I remember about that bird. Wow. So, you know, pre-flight, it might seem redundant and it might seem monotonous, but you know what? It needs to be done no matter what, because it might save your life or somebody else's someday. So pre-flight. Nice. Yeah, I like it. So, uh, yeah, that's about, yeah, that's about it on that case. Okay. <laughs> We'll leave it right there. So okay. now this next, the, the award that I'm about to read, is this the other uh, movie they're talking or the other book? Is this the book that got written on this one? Yeah. So this, this is the book that was written by um, Michael Togus. And the book is called A Storm Too Soon. And it's about the next case we're going to talk about. <laughs> A Storm Too Soon? Yes. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, Drew, I, I'm really excited about reading this one and getting into this because okay. you, uh, not only did you, did your whole, what did your crew earn on this one? Do you know? Uh, I think we all earned air medals. Okay. Uh, I was put in for the uh, DFC, Distinguished uh, Flying Cross, uh, but that got downgraded. And we could talk about, we could talk about that a little bit later too. Sure. Sure. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's kind of get into this because, and I get to read not only one, but two slash three documents out of this. And which is exciting for me because you know what, let me read it. And then, and then I'll explain. It's going to be good. Okay. Ready? Okay. Yeah. Citation to accompany the award of the air medal to Drew D. Dazzo, aviation survival technician, second class United States Coast Guard. <clears throat> Pedaf Sadaza was cited for meritorious achievement while participating in aerial flight aboard Coast Guard Helicopter H-60-6014 on the morning of 7 May 2007 when it was dispatched to recover three mariners from a stricken sailing vessel, Sean Seymour II. The vessel had foundered after 
encountering a subtropical storm, Andrea, which packed 70 knot winds and waves of 40 to 50 feet. The sailors were forced to abandon their vessel into a small inflatable life raft 225 miles southeast of Elizabeth City, North Carolina. The rescue helicopter arrived on scene and successfully located the raft with the assistance of the C-130 aircraft. The raft was discovered skimming across the mountainous waves after losing its sea anchor under the strain of the tumultuous seas. Demonstrating exceptional courage, Pedestrian Dazzo was lowered into the heavy seas to rescue the mariners from the perilous situation. With stalwart physical ability, he directed the first sailor from the raft and positioned him into the rescue basket. With the first survivor safely aboard the aircraft, Pedestrian Dazzo was hoisted and repositioned back into the raft where he re-entered the rolling seas. He again battled the waves and saved the second mariner. Pedestrian Dazzo re-entered the waves a third time and struggling towards the last crewman. As the rescue basket cradled the final survivor, Pedestrian Dazzo succumbed to his exhaustion and gave an emergency pickup signal. With the hoist cable beginning to fray and battling significant salt water ingestion, Pedestrian Dazzo was lifted for the final time from the treacherous seas. The Coast Guard helicopter crew flew to Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point with the three grateful survivors. Petty Officer Daz's actions, skill, and valor in face of life-threatening peril were instrumental in the saving of three lives. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. (laughs) Drew, this is sick, and it gets even better because it's not over. Next, you get a letter... Ah, wait a minute. No, let me keep going because this is awesome. So you get this letter from the Governor General of Canada and it says, Dear Petty Officer Second Class Dazzo, I'm pleased to inform you that Her Excellency, the Right Honorable Michelle Jean, Governor General of Canada, has awarded you the Star of Courage in recognition of your involvement in the rescue of a Canadian sailor off North Carolina coast on May 7, 2007. The Star of Courage is one of three decorations for bravery instituted in 1972 by Her Majesty the Queen on the advice of the Canadian government. Please find enclosed the fact sheet which provides the additional information on this honor. You may now use the letters SC after your name when appropriate. That's freaking awesome. I know. An official announcement of the award will be made by the Governor General in the future. I would like to ask you to keep this information confidential from the media until such time. So then we get to the award from the Canadian government. Amazing. On May 7th, <laughs> 2007, Petty Officer Second Class Drew Dazzo of the American Coast Guard rescued an Ottawa man and two other crew members after their sailboat capsized during a storm near the North Carolina coast in the United States. The victims were desperately hanging on to their damaged life raft in 20-meter-high waves when Petty Officer Second Class Drew Dazzle was lowered by the cable from the helicopter to help each of them into the rescue basket. He sustained a back injury during the first descent when he was violently tossed by large waves. Petty Officer Second Class Dazzle displayed a very high degree of courage, determination, and endurance during the rescue, which was performed in extreme weather and perilous sea conditions. 
And this is signed Secretary of the Governor General. Yeah. Yeah. Sheila Mary Cook. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool? Yeah, well, it's, at the, it's freaking at the crazy. time, I mean, at the time, I was high on life. Um, I had so many rescues, so many interviews. It was just, it was, it was amazing. It really was. And going to, going to Canada to receive that award was just amazing. It was like going, it was like going to the White House in Canada. Wow. It was simply awesome. All right. So, well, let's back it where up. Do, where just, do you want to just, start? I kind of. <laughs> well, all right. So let's let's start from the beginning where you've got Hurricane Andrea or Tropical Storm Andrea coming up. 70 knot winds and 50 foot seas, bro. Whole, like 40 to 50. Like, I know. That's, right, what, I, that's what that's what the write up says. Or <laughs> the rat out, the, the aircraft, the pilot was saying that the rat out was saying. 50 to 70. Holy shit. So, I, I don't right, know. Right. There's a I, video on YouTube. You can look at the waves and tell me how big they are. Okay. I'm, I'm totally searching for it. Now, I can tell you, <laughs> my my personal experience, I've been okay. in 30-foot waves. Mm -hmm. I've rescued people in 20 to 25. Like, so okay. I've been there. I've seen that. Mm -hmm. 40 feet. That's, like, that's, oh, my God, dude, I can't fathom it. Like I can't even picture that. That's so where do you, huge. Where do you want to start on the case? All right. Where alarm goes off. From? The alarm what goes you, off. What do you uh, hear? Actually, the alarm didn't go off. My telephone what? went off. I was laying in bed and they say, Drew, you got the backup. Come on in. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I didn't even have duty. I was the backup swimmer. Oh my and gosh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So when we left Elizabeth city, it was, uh, it was raining. It wasn't nothing too bad, you know, nothing too snotty, nothing that I wasn't used to as we kept getting further and further offshore, boy, I could tell you that helicopter was getting tossed around. Like it was a rag doll. It was no smooth ride out there, man. It was, it got super bumpy. And uh, it was no short trip out there either. It was 225 miles yeah. off. That's a long so flight. There's, there's a lot to think about that goes through your mind on what you're going to do and how you're going to approach it on your way out there. Yeah. And then when you get out there and you open up that door and go, everything that I thought about for the hour and a half transit out here just went out the window. And you're like, holy fuck, I didn't think about any of this. So we get on scene and we couldn't find the raft at first. Uh, thank God the the C-130 was up above in orbit and they had them on the um, they had them on the FLIR, I believe. Uh, so they, they kind of conned us into where the raft was. And we get on scene. And we open up the door and I'm on the gunner's belt and I look out and I'm trying to, I'm trying to spot where the raft is. And I already have my mask helmet on. I'm all ready to go. And I look out the door and do you remember when you were a kid, you used to put your baseball cards in the spokes of your tires and it made that noise when you were riding really fast. Yeah. yeah that one. <laughs> okay. So, so the strap on my, 
mask was hitting my helmet like that so fast because the we and we were almost in a hugger. That's how bad the winds were out there. I couldn't believe it. So I talked about I talked about a free fall, and the pilot turned around to me and said, "Are you fucking crazy?" And I got super quiet because then I looked back out the door and I'm like, man, if I mistime this, I'm dropping far, very far. Wow. So we ended up, uh, we ended up talking about it and we were like, all right, we'll sling me down and I'll come out of the sling as closest to the raft as possible because we knew, <clears throat> we knew that the raft, I think was traveling at eight knots. That's how fast this thing was moving. Wow. So I'm in the sling and I'm, I'm going down and I'm looking and I'm like, holy shit, I'm in between two big fucking waves. Like I was in the trough and I was like, holy shit. Well, thank God my flight mech recognized that and I could feel myself in the helicopter rise so that I wouldn't hit the wave. So then I get close to the raft and I remember shimmying out of the, out of the sling uh, good 15, 20 feet because I was at the top of the wave and I'm like, this is my time. So I dropped out real quick, swam over to the raft as fast as I could. I get into the raft and the one gentleman who I'm really good friends with today, still the Canadian, his name is Rudy Snell, grabs me by the collar of my trisar and looks at me and goes, you guys are fucking crazy. And I just, I just start laughing. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then we had that quick exchange. And then, you know, of course, all your training just takes over. And I'm like, okay, everybody got flotation. Can everybody swim? And who's hurt? And they all pointed to, they all pointed to this gentleman called, his name was JP. And he had broken ribs. And he just had sweatpants on. And boy, I could see him quivering. So he was the first gentleman I pulled out of the raft. Um, and started to make my way over to the basket. Now, <clears throat> at the time, I thought I was, I thought I was cock strong. I thought I was a badass, Jason. I thought I was Aquaman. I knew that I could PT and I knew I could swim like a fish. I tell you what, in 50 foot seas with a survivor, you're just trying to stay afloat and not suck in water and do the same for your survivor. There was, I wasn't, I wasn't swimming, dude. I wasn't making any headway. I wasn't going anywhere. I was just keeping my survivor afloat and waiting for that basket to get near me. <laughs> oh my God, dude. So yeah, it's, it's totally different doing laps in a pool than swimming in 50 foot tees. I can't relate. I cannot just for the relate people, to you. Just for the people who don't know, you know, for people who aren't rescue swimmers and who don't know. So uh, I get him into the basket, and that was real tricky um, because in 50-foot seas, when the wave drops out, that basket and that cable get very taut. You know what I'm saying? It gets plucked oh, yeah. up out of the water real quick. So um, trying to get him in the basket without that basket getting jerked up out of the water and possibly you know, breaking his back because he's halfway in and halfway out, you know, you don't want to fold your survivor up. Right, right. So timing was everything out there with, with that uh, size of a sea state. 
So finally I get him in the basket and I give the thumbs up, man. And that waves just dropped out from underneath us. And it looks like, it looks like the basket is getting shot from a gun. That's how fast it gets up out of the water. It's crazy. So um, after he went up, the first survivor got in the helicopter. Um, once again, communication with your crew is key. Uh, they knew that I wasn't swimming back over to the raft. So it was like they had to pick me up every time and reposition me close to the raft. Yeah. So I can, that I can relate to you. I, I got, I'm all about that too. I, yeah. I'm all about like, ha, ha, let the helicopter help you get there. Don't burn all your energy trying to get to them. I'm all exactly. about that. Exactly. And the pilots, the pilots were really smart too, because they were like, Hey, we're not bringing them up into the cabin to yeah. do another fucking checklist. We're going to short, short haul his ass over there, which yeah. was, I was like, money, this is great. Yeah. yeah. So get over to the, uh, I get over to the raft and uh, I pull out Rudy, who is the guy that said, you guys are fucking crap. So I pull him out. Yeah, I love that. I get him. Um, I get him into the basket. Same sketchy scenario. Basket, you know, getting shot up out of the water because the waves are dropping out from underneath us. Get him in there. And then finally, uh, I go and get the third survivor, which was the biggest dude. His name was uh, Ben Ty, and he was probably he's probably pushing a good two fifty plus because of all his you know clothes he had on and everything. And he was a bigger dude, so like pulling him through the water was super super hard. And I could remember he did not go in the basket easily. Uh, he didn't want to sit in the traditional way, you know, kind of in the fetal position, sitting on your hands, you know, head down between your knees. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to sit kind of like lengthways with his legs hanging out of the bales and stuff like that. So I had to physically fight him to put him in the basket, like physically stuff his legs in, physically pry his hands off of me in the basket and stuff him in there and, and pretty much tell him, stay where you're at. Wow. Well, within doing that, you know, I get hit with so many waves. Um, took in so much so much salt water by the time i gave the thumbs up as he was going up into the helicopter i started throwing up oh geez, in the water dude. yeah i started throwing up uh oh and note to any rescue swimmer out there don't ever eat a three musketeers bar for energy before you go on a snar case don't ever <laughs> don't ever eat a three musketeers bar don't you know it's supposed uh, to be a snickers i mean come on man <laughs> Anyway, I ended up throwing that up while I was out there. Oh, um, and then while I was throwing up, I got hit with more uh, more waves. I didn't think it was possible to dry heave or throw up underwater, but it is. I drew, dry heaved underwater and aspirated water and took in so much water. It was incredible. Uh, and at that point, I was done. I was in the water for 31 minutes. Um, I was hypothermic. And I gave the emergency pickup signal. Um, the hook came down. I mean, my flight mech put it right in front of my face. Um, my, my boy, Scott Higgins was spot on that day. And, uh, as he was picking me up, my leg straps on my trisar, you know how you could put your leg straps low, like behind your knees to take your yeah. weight. Yeah. Well, my legs, my leg straps were high up, like underneath my ass cheeks. So when the wave dropped out, 
I folded in half backwards because I wasn't sitting in my harness right. I wasn't ready to take the load. Yeah. And I, I got bent in half almost and slingshotted out of the water. Oh, um, and immediately as I was going up, I felt like this. Uh, it was like this shooting warm pain go down my back and into my leg. And I was like, holy shit, that fucking hurts. And I get up into the helicopter and, and these three guys are looking at me like I'm fucking crazy. Their eyes are big as frying pans. And I take, I take my fins off and I'm like, all right, I got to take care of my, I got to take care of my patients now. Right. So I open up the EMT bag as I'm getting out the non rebreather and setting up my oxygen. I start throwing up and I'm like, shit. So I'm like, it's in my mouth and I'm looking around like, where the fuck am I going to throw up? So I take off my fin real quick and I start throwing up in my fin, right? Well, my <laughs> fin, my fin starts to throw up with water and everything to the, now it's overflowing. And I'm like, where the fuck do I put this? It's biohazard. So I'm like, oh, the little door, the little trap door in the fucking, in the floor of the 60s. Okay, okay, before you go too far. So in the age 60 on the floor, there's a literally a six inch by like four inch square, like a rectangle plate that you push the button and it folds up. So you can, right. like, it's where you look at like a cargo hook and stuff attached to the bottom of the aircraft. Exactly. Right. Keep going, so keep I, going. Open up that little, I open up that little door <laughs> And I'm like, there's my, there's my light. So I'm dumping the, the, my fin of throw up through the door. As I did that, I was like, fuck, I'm going to start throwing up again. So then I just put my face over the little door and I'm throwing up the, out of the bottom of the helicopter. So I'm, as I'm done throwing up, I look up at my survivors and they're just like mortified. They're like, Oh my God, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Put on this nine rebreather and here's the space blanket. We need to heat you up. <laughs> so. Oh God, Drew, this is awesome. Crazy, crazy. And I can't, I can't even tell you what the conversation was like in the helicopter because I wasn't up there. But while I was down in the water, I was talking to myself a lot because um, there was a lot going on. Uh, the first time I went down and <clears throat> I gave the I'm okay signal and I started to swim towards the raft, I remember looking back and I'm like, where's the fucking helicopter? I just gave them the I'm okay signal. And I'm like, where did they go? They were right there. I'm like, Jason, I, I said to myself, where is the helicopter? And I got super scared. And I did a 360 in the water and I'm like, where are they? And then all of a sudden I was at the top of this wave and I'm like, oh, there they are in between the fucking sets. I couldn't see them, Jason, on the wow. water level because the waves were that high. Holy I couldn't God. see it on the horizon. I thought they got taken out. So that was one thing that went through my mind. Um, when I got to the raft, and, you know, and, and Rudy had you know grabbed me and said what he had said. That kind of put my mind somewhere else, you know. But then after I got Rudy up in the helicopter, it was like, am I going to be able to do this two more times? 
Yeah. You know, it wasn't doubt that was going through my head. Like, I know I'm going to do this. I'm going to get myself through this. I'm going to push myself through this and I'm going to get these guys out. It wasn't doubt. It was fear. It was like, am I going to be able to keep doing this? Like my mind is going to get me there, but is my body going to get me there? Holy cow, I started to think about that. And then by the time I got the third guy out, I was so exhausted. It was like, am I going to get up out of the helicopter and am I going to see my wife and kid again? You know, and I kept seeing, I kept, my son wasn't born at the time. I was like, am I going to, oh wait, my son was born at the time. Am I going to see my son and my daughter again? Um, so, you know, things like that flash before your eyes when you're out there and it's kind of, it, it, it kind of messes you up a little bit when you're on scene. <laughs> yeah. And those are just things that you really don't, I don't want to say I didn't think about them. I did, but after the cases, when you dwell on them. And uh, I guess that was, that was the crazy part for me. It's just like, you thought you weren't going to come back, but you did it and you got through it. And it was a scary situation. And I'm sure there's swimmers out there who thought, you know, that they weren't going to come back. And I'm sure they have their stories too, but I seriously didn't know if I was coming home from that case. Wow. Yeah. Um, Bro, you're giving me chills right now. I just want you to know that. In that case, you know, growing up in the rate, you hear everybody talking about, oh, yeah, I'm preparing for that case, preparing for the 50-footers, preparing, preparing. You could prepare all you want, but <laughs> when, when, you come, when it comes time to do that case, you only want to do one of them. I would never want to do that case again. Never. Yeah. Never, ever again, I would, I would, would want, excuse me, never again would I want to put myself in that situation. Yeah. At the time in my life when I was sitting in the door, I was gung ho, man. I wanted, I wanted the cases, you know, I wanted to be that swimmer and uh, I got what I wanted. And now that I look back at it, I'm like, man, that was a little bit more than I could, that I could handle. But uh, yes, crazy case, dude. You're a solid man. Um, the you, ride. You didn't, hey, <laughs> you didn't just you got through that and then some. Yeah, it's badass man. So then the ride back to Cherry Point. Uh, it was cold, somber one. <laughs> yeah, uh, we <clears throat> we landed at Cherry Point. Um, there were three ambulances on the tarmac waiting for us. Uh, we all got taken to the emergency room. Uh, when I got to the emergency room, uh, they cut my wetsuit off of me, um, treated me for hypothermia. Um, I, got a, I got a shot in the ass for back spasms. I got x-rays, no, nothing broken, nothing herniated, just, you know, um, bad muscle spasms. Yeah. Um, so then I'm sitting in the, I, mean, I have my own emergency room. I'm sitting in there and I could hear like all this chatter in the next room over. So I'm like, Is it, are those the guys that I rescued? So I get up <laughs> off my journey. I take my IV. I open up the door. 
I walk into the next room and there they are with their warm packs and they're like in their underwear and everything. And they're all talking. And I'm like, Hey guys, how's it going? They're like, Oh, I'm our rescuer. Oh my God. You know, I walk in, we're all hugging each other. And then I was like, I was like, man, that was some shit. Huh? And we, you know, we start talking about the rescue and, and then they tell me like everything that they encountered prior to me getting on scene. And that was an incredible story. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I thought that they went through hell in that raft from the point I got to them to the point where we delivered them home safely. Oh, no. They got tr- – they got tr- – um, they tried to get picked up by some container ship. Okay. And in doing that, the container ship almost – um because the sea state was rocking back and forth so much, the container ship almost landed on top of the boat and crushed them. Holy cow. And then because they had their lines in the water, their rigging lines got caught in the container ship screw. And in doing that, they had tied themselves to the boat. Well, when the screw started taking up all their line, it was dragging JP off the boat into the water. So Rudy... Rudy had to chase after him with an axe and cut him loose so that he wouldn't get dragged overboard. What? Yeah. So that's how I think that's how JP got broken ribs. But yeah, their story prior to them getting picked up from the Coast Guard was incredible. Also, I mean, these guys went through (laughs) hell. Yep. Bro, what the? Yep. So. I didn't know it was a tropical storm. Later on, it got named Tropical Storm Andrea. Um, you know, 70 knot winds. Um, we'll, say, we'll say 40 to 50. I know what it really was in the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, uh, if, if, you ever, if, if you ever talk to Mike Spencer, you make sure to tell him it's 50 to 70 every time. <laughs> Mike Spencer, you got that, Mike? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was um, that was a pretty hairy case, man. Being being on scene and being in the water and not seeing the helicopter on the horizon. Um, and you think that they got hit by a wave or they went down. And then you say to yourself, man, I'm 225 miles offshore. There ain't nobody coming to get me pretty damn quick. Holy you know? shit. It's real. So it just, it makes you think about getting left on scene. It makes you think about leaving this world. And it makes you think that you could be the most cock strong, fastest swimmer in the world. But when you're 225, <laughs> miles offshore and 50 foot seas you need everything in your repertoire to get you back on land meaning your flight mech your aircraft commander your co-pilot the guys in the c-130 that are orbiting you keeping eyes on you making sure everybody's safe it is a team effort and you know what back then as far as social media goes, it wasn't a team effort. Everybody wanted to talk to the swimmer. The swimmer was like, you know, the Hollywood guy. But now, because of social media, I think it's better because they promote it's a team effort. 
You know, the oh, swimmer, yeah. swimmer doesn't get himself out there alone. Nope. He's got three other people that get him out there. And he's got a, a machine that I don't know how many people take care of back home. Right. So oh, yeah. it's a ginormous team effort. And, you know, and like I said, back then, it really wasn't promoted as a team effort because everybody wanted to talk to the swimmer when they got back. And it's not like that anymore because GoPro, social media platforms, yeah. iPhones, cameras, you name it. So, yeah. and I'm happy for that. I really, really am. No, I, I am too. I, I see that a lot as well. It's, it's, it, and it's not just one guy. It doesn't matter. Right. Swimmer's not getting, well, you can jump out of the helicopter, but you're not getting back up without the flight mechanic. And right. you know what? Exactly. Nobody's doing anything without a good pilot up front. So Exactly. You yeah. need a good stick up front. You really, really do. Uh, communication. Um, so this, like you made a comment and, and I want to touch on this a little bit more and that is preparing. You know, I, I personally, I still work out every day and I work out hard. And Bob Watson said it to me while I was in Kodiak, it's preparing for the bearing. And I'm yep. totally with you. How do you prepare for something like 50 foot seas? For me, it was 30 foot and 25 foot. How do you prepare for something like that? It's at the same time, I push myself every day mm. for the day that I have to do that. And you did that. You got in those waves and you hammered down. Yeah. I look at guys that I, that I work out with now that, that can't hang. And you're like, could you do that? Could you, could that guy go into that 50 foot seas? You know? Yeah. It's stuff I um, think about with that too. You know, it's hard. It, it, it's hard to read. It was so long ago. I'm trying to just remember like feelings and thoughts like, you know, cause I was grounded for 30 days after that case. Not, oh, wow. just, not just because of physically, because my back hurt, but mentally that case messed with me. Like I really didn't think I was coming back. I really didn't. I mean, I did have those thoughts while I was out there and that really did mess with me, you know? And, and I knew it messed with me because for the week after the case, I stayed on the couch and was cuddly, cuddly. Like I wouldn't let my kids go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So yeah. And, want to talk about preparedness you know back in the day i was i was prepared physically jason i was i was a gladiator on on the pt grinder and in the pool i mean i was a gladiator dude i could move and i could swim and i could pt for a 175 pound dude i was cock strong and i was alpha um but i wasn't i wasn't alpha mentally I thought I was, but after that case, I said to myself, maybe I should have prepared mentally more, you know, mentally I prepared to get myself through school, you yeah. know, and, and nothing was going to stop me. Nothing was going to be in my way. If there was a, if there, if there was a wall, I was either going through it or around it. There was nothing stopping me, but at, on that case, mentally, I didn't prepare for Hey man, what if you're in a situation where you know you're not going to come back? I don't think I was prepared for that. And it messed me up a little bit. So, how do you prepare for 50 footers? Keep busting your ass in the gym. Keep, you know, keep preparing yourself physically, but I would uh I would get on that mental aspect. However you make yourself stronger mentally, resilient, um 
And, and when you're faced with something, you got to be like, I'm capable of that. I could do that. That's how mentally strong you need to be for 50 footers. When I, went, when I went out the door and I look back, I wasn't prepared not to see the helicopter. Now I did the job. I did the rescue. Um, physically, I pushed myself through it, but mentally I should have been stronger. I, I don't, I don't know how else to put it now that I, you know, 20 something years later, it's the mental aspect you need to be strong for. Cause that's, what's going to get you, your mind and your body through whatever situation you might not think you're coming back from. Wow. That's something I, I, I personally don't know how to do. I don't know how to prepare a mind to your mind to get through something like that. And yeah, it's tough. Bro. It really is. It really is. And there's been, there's been several cases when I've been in the coast guard. I didn't think I was coming back from yeah. not only that, not only that case. I mean, I've had training missions where I didn't think I was coming back. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that's something I, we don't talk about here much at all is some of the training flights and stuff that we've been on that you're like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. It's but, like, Hey, did we really need to risk everything for that sling deployment? Yeah. Yeah. Or do we really need to risk everything to drop this radio to the boat? <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that'll be another topic at another time. Come on, Drew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, another time. So, wow. but yeah, that, that case was, uh, that case was the case of my, my career. Um, it's still, it's still coming back to me. I mean, uh, you know, like uh, just when I think I've, I've forgotten about it, you know, the, Somebody calls me up and said, Hey, you know, I read your book today, or I saw your video on YouTube, or you know, or yeah, Quinny called you. True, true. Yeah, can you tell me? Can you tell me the story? <laughs> or you know, or somebody said, hey, hey Drew, I just saw your life the life jacket from your case in on the wall in East City, you know. Yeah. Um yeah. or you know, every May 7th, I talked to my buddy Rudy that I rescued. You know, I mean, uh, I've kept a relationship with this guy for years. I've even That's went to awesome. his house, met his entire family. I mean, we're we're buds. We drink um, Grand Meunier together. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I yeah. love that. I mean, he's he's came to my house in Alabama and slept in my house. That's how good friends we are. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. So, um, really good guy. Really good guy. Drew, so. you and your crew did an amazing job that day. And we three did. Lives did. Got saved. We did, and uh, it's um. I don't know. It's just a really, now I look back at it, it was a really, really good case for me um, to help me grow, you know, as a swimmer. Yeah. Wisdom wise and, and, and paying it forward to the younger guys out there. You know, when I got back from that case <laughs> and it was all said and done, I remember, I forget who I was telling this story to, but it was a young third. And I was like, man, I waited a long time in my career. Like I would come in every day and pray for that alarm to go off. Like I would be like, come on, let's go star alarm. Come on, let's go. I need a case. I need a case. Go off. And now that I think about it. And when I was telling that young kid, I was like, man, you don't want to wish for somebody's misfortune. Right. And then here, and you don't want to wish for 50 foot seas because fuck dude, you don't know if you're going to come back. You might want it and you're ready for it, but man, don't wish about it. 
because you yeah. might not come back. Yeah. And I remember waiting and waiting and waiting for that alarm to go off. And then one day I just stopped waiting and that alarm started going off. And it's like, man, what did I get myself into? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Dude. But it's like that. It's like that in every shop, though, because guys will go on streaks, yeah. you know, and get, you know, it'll be, it'll be Joe Blow getting star cases for the next month and then he'll die out and then the next guy will come in and be like oh my god he's on the he's on the hook for the next star case you know so uh it happens to all of us just stop waiting for that alarm to go off <laughs> you know what though drew we need that that's what yeah. we need from us you want us out there wanting that alarm to go off yes. that's what you you want all of us to be wanting that that alarm yeah even though you don't know what you're going to get yourself into you. That's what we need. We have to have that. Cause yep. if you don't have that now, you now you got a question. Yeah. You're going to wonder. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Crazy, crazy case, man. Crazy. <laughs> Jeez, oh man. Drew, thank you so much for sharing it. Like your, your side of it. Uh, thank you for you having don't. me. I'm, I, this has been great. Heck yeah. Uh, I mean, just, uh, oh, one last, one last thing before we go. One, one more, but just one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a story or anything, but, or lessons. No. It, it, this is more of like lessons learned. So I retired in 2018 and as a rescue swimmer, we all have that type A personality and we are all alpha. Um, after you get out of the Coast Guard and you're retired, things change a lot for a rescue swimmer. Mentally and physically, we change a lot. Um, pick up a routine. Do something that is going to keep your mind active. Because after you retire and you don't have anything lined up to keep you occupied, you're going to drive yourself nuts. Take it from me, experience. I got out in 2018 and I thought I was going to do a whole lot. And I met a lot of yellow tape and I found out that it really wasn't what I wanted to do. And I, and I, I floundered for a while to find myself after retirement. And it sucks. It sucks floundering like a fish out of water as a rescue swimmer after you retire because you don't have that regiment anymore. You don't have that routine. You don't have pool days. You don't have workout days. You don't have training days. Thank God I don't have GMT days anymore. But still, after all that's gone and you don't have your brethren to keep your mind going, It affects you a lot. So to my swimmers out there, 20 years and over who are still active duty and that you're <clears throat> thinking about getting out soon, please have something lined up, not only physically for you to do, but mentally to keep your mind active through retirement so that you don't drive yourself crazy and you don't drive your family members crazy and push them away from you because that's what happens. 
So as far as lessons learned, that's the biggest one I got since I've been retired is have a plan when you get out and keep your mind active and don't stop working out because when you stop working out and you stop moving, that's when your body hurts the most. <laughs> and I get it. Amen. Take it from experience. <laughs> yeah. And if anybody wants to dive digger into my brain, feel free to call me. My number is out there. People know how to get in touch with me. And if you don't want to talk to me, there are other swimmers out there who are into, uh, you know, talking to people about depression, anxiety. The help is out there. Don't think that you're alone because you're not. There is a support group out there for swimmers. Talk to somebody. That's all you Love need it. to do. And I'll, I'll second that. You can call me. You can email me. You can message me too anytime. anytime. Right on. Well, dude, it, it's, been, it's been an honor. Um, it, I should have been on here sooner. No. Uh, no if you could ever have perfect. a re if you could ever have a repeat guest, please call me back. <laughs> I'll talk I'll, about I'll other back cases. Anytime. Talk about other cases. Um, talk about other things that's going on in the in the swimmer world now. You know, uh, please. I, oh, I would I'd love, love to. to come back. I would love to, dude. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing these stories. And wow, brother. Wow. <laughs> wow. Dude, you're a badass, man. Thank you. Totally. I don't, I don't feel like one anymore, but <laughs> I guess I was at one point in time. Uh, I still think you are, man. I love you. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it Thank a lot. You. Dude, we'll be in touch again, I promise. So, all right, Jason. All right. I'll catch up with you later, my brother. Cool. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Go. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com that's jason at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q.com you can also check us out on our web pages therealrescue.com our facebook page and our instagram page at therealrescue again a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today always remember when that star alarm goes off those in distress are praying for a miracle they are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>